people that came here, and they were my young adults pastors. In fact, they're the ones that spoke into my life so that I would come to Summit. And anyways, in this moment now, I was chatting with them, and they were giving me encouragement. And and I was driving back now to Vancouver from Agassiz, and I couldn't see the road because I was crying so hard. I was crying so hard. I hated my life. I hated being a pastor because it was so much. I hated that I felt like I didn't have the skills to actually do what I was supposed to do. And I hated the fact that I didn't feel like I was good enough. I wasn't good enough. It wasn't just my skills. It was me. I wasn't good enough. And it felt awful, awful. So um, I was holding all of that while still pastoring. And then... Just to add insult to injury, I had caught word that there was a rumor going around in my church about me that was, question, that was causing my integrity to be in question. And, um, and it broke me. It broke me. I thought I'd given my entire life to Jesus. I'd given my entire life to this church, how could I be hurt so badly? How could that happen? And I tried to give up pastoring. In fact, I moved across the country to get away from it because I figured I'm going to be done with church stuff. I'll just be a chaplain instead. I'll still love Jesus. I'll still love people, but I'm just not going to do it in the church anymore. And um, I tried really hard but God is so gracious with my pain. He was so gracious with my pain and my hurt. And he reminded me of my calling when it was the right time. And he redeemed my love for the church. And he redeemed my willingness to be vulnerable and to actually show who I am to the people that I serve. It wasn't a very easy road. In fact, I would call it suffering. But God healed my heart and reminded me of whose I am and who I am, but whose I am. And he gave me back joy of being in the church and being with his people. And he shared with me the glory that is found in him and in, his, in the company of his people and the joy that's found in obedience. And this is one of the stories of my life where suffering and glory collide somehow. And I know that you have lots of stories of your life of suffering, and I hope glory that you've experienced in God. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah, suffering and glory. Aren't you glad you came? (laughs) So before we go into the word of God, I would like to pray for us and what the Holy Spirit has for us tonight. Lord, I thank you that you meet us in our pain and in our joy. Lord, I thank you that you know 
You know what is um, being experienced. You know what has been experienced. You know what is to come. And Lord, I pray that this evening you would redeem stories. Redeem stories of suffering. Lord, I pray that you would heal hearts that hurt. And I pray that tonight you would remind people of your calling and the hope that is found in you. So Lord, as we take a look at your word, um, as we spend time in it, Holy Spirit, would you speak? Speak to our hearts. We give you our hearts. We give you our ears. We pay attention to you. Amen. Okay, so we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. So we've been in Romans chapter 8 for a few weeks here, and uh, we've just kind of parked, just sat right in. And uh, and so we're going to keep going. We're in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start actually in um, verse Oh, I think I got 17 up there. 16. Let's just, we're going to just roll into a little bit of what Gavin was talking about last week. Um, And uh, just to give us a little bit more context. Okay. So starting in verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may share in his glory. I consider that our present suffering are not worthy or not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage of decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we are we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what has already been? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us with weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself prays or intercedes for us with groaning that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance accordance with God's will. So, I feel some tension from this text. At first, we read this, I'm grateful. Okay, I am a daughter of God. How awesome. I love this. I have a wonderful inheritance. I can call him Abba. Holy Spirit's within me. Awesome. Then there's a little bit of a rub, right? 
Um, because while we like the idea of sharing in God's glory or with Christ's glory, we don't quite get, and it makes me feel uncomfortable when it says that we share in his suffering in order that we would share in his glory. That doesn't seem to rub with our prosperity slash pamper gospel that we're used to, right? We have a gospel that says that God's going to take care of us. We're going to be fine. We won't experience any discomfort. Somehow, we believe that. Somehow. You're right. Let's talk about it. So, this is where we are, though. It says, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. That's quite a contrast in tension. And tonight, I'd like to explore three concepts that are coming out of this tension that's felt. First, we've got suffering. Second, we've got glory. And then a little bit later on in our text, we see this thing of waiting. Oh, darn it. Look at that. It looked really good on my screen. Oh, all right. So let's, that's where we're going to go. We're going to talk about suffering. We're going to talk about glory. And then we'll talk about waiting. Because we see all of that found in our text this evening. So in our text, it says that we share in Christ's suffering. We are presently suffering. And creation has been subjected to the frustration and decay of suffering. So scripture says, and the reality is there is suffering in the world. We know that. We feel it. We know it. And really, I am not going to stand up here and try to rationalize to you why there is suffering in the world. There's a bunch of you who have just read a really good book. You could probably, you could probably say my sermon, and we could probably go home sooner, but we're not. So buckle up. Um, <laughs> but you knew, you, some of you have really been engaging with this topic lately, but like a suffering child who looks up at their parent with tears in their eyes, that hurt child doesn't need an explanation to their why. That child needs reassurance. And that's what we're given in our text. That's what we're given throughout the biblical text is reassurance. We are, when we are as co-heirs with Christ, we are reassured of who God is. Let's jump out of Romans for a second and go into John. So after Jesus predicts his own suffering, Jesus is comforting his disciples. And he says to them, he who has seen me sees the Father. That's John 14, 9. And then he reassures his disciples that while they are about to walk a very, um, a walk that's full of confusion and grief and pain and persecution, they can rest assured that the God, the God, that God the Father will strengthen them because they know Christ, therefore they know the Father. This is what he continues to say in chapter 14. He continues to say, I won't even leave you as orphans. I won't let you suffer, he says. I will send you a comforter. 
I will send you an advocate. I will send my spirit. The glorified spirit of God will be with the disciples. This is exactly what Paul is reminding us as well in this text. That Jesus, who is our life, the one in whom we have life and freedom, who, get, who we are co-heirs with, reassures us of who the Father is in light of our suffering. The one, he is the one who saw suffering of humanity and responded. He is the one who continuously responded to humanity's suffering. He, in fact, we see throughout scripture that God punished the affluent because they created suffering for the marginalized. We see that throughout the prophets. We see that God made efforts and responded to the suffering of his people when he made a way out for the Israelites out of Egypt. And he he met a woman who was defeated by her suffering. Now, Hagar, this woman that he met, we find the story of Hagar in in Genesis chapter 16 and 21 and throughout there. Hagar is a slave. She's been impregnated by Abram because Abram and Sarai have decided to like take control and do things like they want to get do things, not the way that God wants to do it. And so they've impregnated this woman. Now she's pregnant and Sarai hates her. So she leaves. She runs away because she's so hated. And Genesis 16 says that God heard her misery in the desert and he met her in her pain. And one thing that's super cool about God is Hagar is the very first human being that we know to actually name God. It's not a person of affluence. It's not a person who has everything just peachy keen. No, it's a slave woman who is incredibly destitute and is like suffering big time. And she, God meets her and she says to him, you are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. My friends, we have something far more powerful than a rational example or, or logic to why suffering happens. And there is room for logic. Don't get me wrong. There is room. But the presence of God, God the Father, who responds to us, who sees us in our pain and responds, that is the answer to our suffering. That hasn't fixed the suffering yet, but that's our answer. Can I reassure you that if you are sitting in the midst of suffering right now, that God sees you, he knows your suffering more than you do. And he's sharing with you in that pain. And it's amazing because in the middle of our disillusionment, in the middle of our absolute suffering that we've experienced because of sin, again, 
God responds, makes a way, adopts us so that we would never know the depth of suffering. That's what he does for us. I love this quote from Corrie ten Boon, who is a survivor of a Nazi camp. And she says, no matter how deep the darkness, he is still deeper. That's our God. It's not rationale. I've got no logic for you. But I can point you to Jesus. He's going to point you to God. And he's our answer in our suffering. Can I encourage you to, like Hagar, see the God who sees you in the midst of your suffering? He knows, and he's going to respond. So suffering. This is what we typically know of suffering, right? The pain, the hurt, the human experience of ugh right? Like the depth that we all are feeling right now, because we're like, we could probably move off suffering right now. Um, But like that, that is what we know and understand of suffering. However, when Paul talks about suffering in this text, he's actually not talking about that suffering. He's not. He's not talking really about the pain of humanity, What he's talking about is the pain of Christ's enfleshed deity sharing in that suffering. So, in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. His agony was so intense that his sweat fell on the ground like great drops of blood. His close friends who wanted to be so close to him. And he even said, could you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? And there they are, falling asleep, abandoning him. In his immense loneliness, he fell on his face and he cried, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. It's deep suffering. But then Jesus says yes to suffering because he knows the very nature of God. He knows that God meets the abused. He knows that God frees the enslaved. He knows that God fights for the marginalized. And so he possesses this trust beyond betrayal, this surrender beyond despair, and this love beyond all fear. And so because of that, he leans in to suffering. That's what we're invited into. Nay, that's our inheritance. The Greek word to suffer here in this text, it comes from, it's called mm, sympashom, no, sympashomen. There we go. Greek scholar right here. Okay. So I was like really going to nail it and I didn't. Anyways, Um, Okay, this word, what it means here is to experience pain jointly that is the same kind. To suffer with. We are to experience the same pain and suffering that Jesus has. 
Now, this, is, this really shouldn't surprise us, right? Because we have Jesus saying in Luke, if anyone would come after me, lay down, uh, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We know that text, right? This shouldn't shock us. We also know that in 2 Corinthians, it says that we are afflicted in every way. But we are not crushed. We are not perplexed but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. This should not surprise us. But for me, I'm, I would, you know, like it's October. I would really like for it to be sweater weather because I like to live a life of comfort. I'm a bit of a comfort gal. I love If I could live a pumpkin spice latte kind of life, I would. That would be awesome. Just some sort of scented candle. You guys can't have those, but I can. Some sort of scented candle going pumpkin spice latte, a sweater, a a little blanket, some comfy socks, just cozy. I wish I could live this life. (laughs) That, my friends, is not our inheritance. It's not. Okay, that's not. Okay, so let's go back to this word for suffering for a second. So the root word for suffer is pathema. Nailed it. Okay, so this is what it says. This is the word. The capacity. It gives the capacity. And hear this. The privilege of experiencing strong feelings, deep emotion, suffering. That's what this means. The privilege. Now, it continues on. It says, suffering here, to suffer, is not inherently negative, this word. Not inherently negative. Indeed, it is only negative when experienced without faith. But under God, it is redemptive preparing us to know God better now and forever in glory. This is what the word suffer means. This is why Peter says, rejoice in as much as you you participate in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Because there is something that happens when we suffer with Christ. My friends, Living a pumpkin spice latte life is going to kill our calling. Living a life of comfort is going to kill our calling. We have been so focused on on circumstantial success. We have been so focused on living a life that has no suffering whatsoever that we have lost sight of what it means to live sacrificially for Jesus. Over the last two weeks, we've had pastors stand here and tell us their stories and share with us how they have suffered with Jesus. Pastor June, he has shared in the suffering of Christ for the church, the Nanaimo Native Victory Church. He has suffered with Christ. Pastor Monty, when he was here, he shared in his suffering with Christ for the city of Quinell. Both of them shared that in the midst of sorrow, they experienced God's consolation. 
And in the midst of darkness, they experienced God's light in the midst of despair. They held on to hope. This is what we have when we suffer with Christ. We get to experience his glory. There is great tension in that, and yet there is incredible beauty in that. And that's why Paul says, I consider that our present suffering, they're not worth comparing to the glory that is revealed in us. Now, I'm going to invite Cole to come on up and share his story. And then we'll continue to talk about glory. Oh, that's a hard topic, but I think Kim nailed it. Um, it's the high road now. Um, this last month for, actually, first of all, I'm Cole, in case we haven't met. Um, hey, thank you so much. Um, and my wife, Emily, is right back there. This last month has perhaps been one of the saddest months in my life. It's been filled with sympathshaman over and over again. Um, and it has sucked the breath out of our lungs and drained us of our energy. We've struggled to know what God's role is um, for us, um, for us in the lives of other people, and for what other people are going through. We've watched some of our close friends suffer in ways that we've never experienced this last month. We've watched close friends go through things that we can only imagine going through. Our prayers have been deep and heartfelt. Uh, they've been very emotional. They've been filled with tears. They've been honest. Um, and they've been broken for the last month. But in all of this, I don't think Emily and I have ever given God more glory. I don't think we've ever been closer to God than we are right now. And it's extremely challenging because we see so much sadness around us. And we see so many things that are happening. And even when Kim asked me to share my testimony, I was like, yeah, cool, I can share my testimony. And she's like, okay, but we're talking about suffering. I'm like, oh, I only have to go back four weeks. Um, and I've got more than I've ever had in my whole life. God has brought Emily and I to a place in our life where he's trusting us to walk alongside people in this, um, in this joint suffering when they're going through something. And they just need somebody uh, to help them along the way. And it's been so fruitful for us. And that passage in Romans 8, we share in his suffering in order that we may also experience in his glory. I've seen that this month. I've lived that. Emily has lived that. Our friends have lived that. We've seen God, who is the King of glory and the Lord Almighty. We've seen him walking alongside those that we love in the midst of the greatest pain they'll have experienced yet. We've seen God come alongside our friends and lift them up and fill in the gaps that they're experiencing. And in all of this, again, God has never been more glorified in our lives. I'm in the midst of a very, very sad season. And on Monday, 
I sat in front of my computer for four hours, unable to do anything because I felt so burdened by the sadness that our friends were going through. It feels like there is nothing but sadness in the world, and we're just trying our best to make it through the day. But in those very dark, dark moments when I'm so sad, feeling the burden for my friends, when my friends and my family and you guys here are going through those moments, I feel the still small voice of God reaching out. I feel his hand. I feel his Holy Spirit, his comfort, his peace, his presence, sometimes through worship, sometimes through contemplation. And I feel him. And I know that he's walking with me through that valley, through the shadow of darkness. Psalm 25, verse 4 to 6 says, Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves. All day long I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. I read this and know and am reminded and am blessed by the truth that God is good. I read this and I reflect on the last month, everything that's been going on, all the feelings and emotions still fresh and the sadness still overwhelming. And I know that he will lead me by this truth. He will teach us for he is the God that saves. He is compassionate and his love is unfailing. I'm still pretty sad. It's hard to see your friends and your loved ones go through things that you will just not understand unless you go through them yourself. But I'm so glad that the people that God has brought us to know him as well. I'm so glad that everyone in this room knows God. Hopefully everyone in this room knows God. By the end of the day, you will. Um, he's a God who gives good gifts, and he walks with us in suffering. He's given me and Emily good gifts. He's walked with us through our suffering, through our friend's suffering. I'm glad he is patient and present. He is the King of glory and the Lord Almighty, even amidst suffering. That doesn't mean you're going to heal in a moment, but he is there and he is present, and I can attest to that. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cole. Yeah. God is in the midst of pain and suffering. And I just want to bless you and Emily as you continue to walk with your friends who are in pain. May you continue to be used by God to be an expression of his hope. Yeah. So there is, there's suffering, and yet there is this thing that comes up where we get to experience God's glory somehow. And that is the, that's the piece that comes up, right, out of this text. While we share in Christ's suffering, we also share in his glory. And there's sort of two concepts of glory that we're looking at from this text. First, there's this now glory that Cole was talking about, the experiencing God's work now. Now, the word for glory, I'm, I'm just getting into the Greek just getting in there. This word here talks about being um, to ascribe the weight by recognizing real substance. That's what it means to glorify, to glory, to recognize the real substance. In our now, 
to sharing God's glory now is to recognize God's real substance in what's happening right now, which is exactly what Cole was talking about. This is why we tell stories. This is why we want to hear more of your testimonies. Because when we hear the stories of what God is doing in our lives, we glorify, we recognize the real substance of God in the situation, and we share in his, in his glory. We share and we get to recognize the awesome and miraculous. We get to experience and celebrate and see the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We get to see the restoration that comes. All of this is God's glory, his provision, his revelation, his empowerment. These are the stories that we need to be talking about so that we can share in his glory. Because that happens even though suffering happens. But then there's this eternal glory. There's the already, what we can experience now. And then there's a not yet. There's a not yet glory. There's the eternal glory found in heaven. Now, yes, Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a making glory happen here now. Awesome. But that always points to the eschatological glory that we have in heaven. The kingdom coming, the God's will being done here and now does not eliminate the glory that we experience in eternity with Christ. We don't want to be, right? Maybe you've heard this phrase. We don't want to be so earthly or heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, right? We don't want to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. My friends, let us not be so earthly focused that we lose a hope-filled anticipation of what Paul is speaking about. The glory of God, his full presence in completion, in glory. That's our glory too. That is our glory too. All of humanity, Paul says, all of humanity is groaning for it. What we would experience here and now today, yes, we will experience God's glory. But the fullness of his glory is found in his absolute presence, his complete presence in glory, in eternity. Now, we may have some really big goals in life. We may want to experience life, right? We may want to like, I don't know accomplish really big things. And Isaac, maybe you want to live, laugh, love like crazy. (laughs) But let's not be short-sighted. Let us not be short-sighted people that we miss out. We miss out on seeing what is ahead of us. We have, we have experienced the glory now, but we have so much more glory to experience in eternity. So we have these two pieces of glory. And then, and then it says that we are waiting. We are waiting. So in verses 23 to 25, it says, we wait it eagerly with, uh, for our adoption to sonship with the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. 
Who hopes for what has already been, sorry, what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Yes, we are God's children now. Now we are. But we will experience a complete perfecting in eternity. We will experience the resurrection of our bodies, sharing in the full substance of God. But we will wait for that. We need to wait for that. And in our text, God provides two ways in which we wait. One is with hope. Now, anybody love picking people up at the airport? Yeah, I love picking people up at the airport. Okay, so there's this show called Hello, Goodbye. It's a Canadian show. Has anybody seen this show, Hello, Goodbye? Yeah, Loranda. Okay, so Hello, Goodbye. There is, it's this show. It's like a sort of like a reality show, documentary show. And what it is, is there's this guy who walks through airports, like the Toronto airport. And what he does is he like meets up with somebody and he's like, oh, like, what are you doing here? And they say, oh, well, I'm going to come and pick up my, and then fill in the blank. Uh, And it's been cool because there are people who are like picking up friends or picking up family or they're picking, there's this one where they were like long distance dating and they were meeting for the very first time in person. And every time the show is on, I cry. Every time I cry. And there is something that happens and we all do it. It's like human nature. We all do it when we're waiting to pick up our person and we're waiting and there's those like doors and we all go like this, right? You know? Because we're trying to see like past the doors, like what's maybe our person is on their way and we like are moving, like we keep moving. But the, the place that we're looking at has not moved, but we're moving. Yeah, the word for waiting here means to crane your neck, to keep your eye on something or someone. That's what it means to wait to crane your neck to wait. This is what we're invited into. To crane our neck to the glory of God, to be watching all the time, to the point where it might be a little bit discomfort, uncomfortable. That's what it means. To to wait, to have hope, is to crane our necks to be keeping our eye on what's ahead. I love this. Lamentations. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. To live in our inheritance as children of God means that we wait. We wait for the moment 
We wait for God to continue to move in our lives. We wait for when he comes again because he promised that he would. And we crane our necks in anticipation, waiting on him, keeping our eye on him. I'm gonna invite the band up. So we are to wait with hope, but then it also says that we are to wait with the Holy Spirit. It says the one in Romans 8, chapter 20, or verse 8, verse 26 and 27, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Remember when Jesus, when we were looking at John 14, and Jesus is preparing his disciples for the suffering that they're going to go through as a result of the suffering that Jesus was going through? Remember that he promised the Holy Spirit. Now Paul is making the same reminder. When we experience suffering that leads us to a place where we have no idea what to pray, we don't know what to do, we have the Holy Spirit. The God who sees us provides the Holy Spirit. And as we wait to experience the absolute fullness of God's glory, we have the Holy Spirit who intercedes within us. And it is with the Holy Spirit that we wait for God's glory. So, as we wait, as we wait on God, as we keep our eyes on him, let us remember that he is the one who meets the abused. He is the one who frees the enslaved. He is the one who fights for the marginalized. And he is the one who adopts the sinners like you and me, prepares a place, offers hope, and provides help. And so as we, I'm going to invite you to stand. The band is going to lead us. But as we finish off our night, I think perhaps the thing that we could do is to glorify our God tonight. To glorify Him, to recognize the substance of who He is, whether we are in a place of suffering or in a place of victory, He deserves all of the glory. Now, if there's something else that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and you feel like you need space to pray, come pray. But let's lift up our voices and glorify our God.